0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: Dive in Uh Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Douglas Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. We do it twice a week. We're getting it to you a little later this Tuesday because I got jury duty Tuesday morning. Did not get picked, which is probably good for American society. But now Ellis and Scott and I are here and guess who we're talking about? It's Baker Mayfield. We're going to do it a little different this week on this Tuesday. We usually do Scott has a big dive. Ellis has a big dive. Everything. It's like, I feel like everything in the world is Baker right now. And I will say that I am on edge about it. I am weird about it. I am nervous about it because I actually feel like the way we talk about it actually like might have an effect on it. Not to like, Not to get too far out over our skis on that, but this city, this fan base, there's just so much going on with this. This is such an important question. It needs to be talked about, but I want to talk about it smartly. So if you want it talked about, but you want it talked about smartly, get ready for the next hour. Because Scott is going to dive in specifically on Baker Mayfield under pressure. And we're going to go through a lot of that. And I think under pressure tells you a lot of things about a quarterback. And then in the second half, we're going to have more of a discussion about how much can baker still get better about how much is he kind of holding the browns back right now some stuff like that we're not going to play name 10 quarterbacks you think the browns could trade for we can we'll let other people do that that's not where we are we're having a smart talk and we're going to start with Scott Pasco diving in on baker Mayfield Scott Pasco dive in so
0: a stat that was all over Twitter on Sunday was how Baker Mayfield was pressured 40 47% of his dropbacks against the Steelers. So I want to take a closer look at that and just how Baker's done against pressure um, both this season and, uh, and throughout his career, how it kind of relates to some other quarterbacks. So let's start with the Steelers though. <clears throat> the Steelers, as we mentioned before on this podcast, came into this game, leading the league in blitz percentage, 48.8%. Uh, but all that pressure Baker faced on Sunday didn't necessarily come from blitzes. He was only blitzed nine times. Really? Uh, Case, yeah, Case Keenan was blitzed three times because you remember Baker only went two uh, possessions into the second half. He was pressured on 10 total dropbacks according to Pro Football Focus. It seemed like more, but that's uh, the, that's how many they, they ended up counting. And I went back and looked at the tape and it was, that's roughly, that's about what it was, it, which comes out to about 40% of his total dropbacks on Sunday. So if he plays the whole game, maybe it's, you know, 11, 12, 13 pressures, but hands up with nine. The Steelers, though, this is this was totally different for them. The Steelers blitzed Carson Wentz 18 times two weeks ago. They blitzed Jeff Driscoll of the Broncos 26 times. In week one, Daniel Jones was blitzed 29 times. Uh, they only blitzed Deshaun Watson eight times, which uh, maybe makes sense because of his escapability and stuff like that. But Baker, Deshaun Watson, I guess you don't put them uh, in, in the same category of, of escapability, but the, the, the Steelers – clearly seemed to think that they could generate enough pressure without necessarily blitzing a ton and just also confusing Baker with coverage. And obviously what they did kind of worked out. He was two of six and uh, with a pick under pressure, which basically overlapped with his blitz numbers, uh, two of six. He was sacked four times under pressure. And three of those times were when he was blitzed. What the Steelers really did though, was get to him on third downs. This season, nobody got to the quarterback uh, pressure wise more than the Steelers on third downs, 78% 78% of the time, the problem was teams were beating the Steelers. They were gaining nine and a half yards on those third downs against the Steelers, which is the second worst total in the league. So they got pressure, but they just weren't making a count. It definitely counted against the Browns who, as we've noted, were one of 12 on third downs on Sunday. And first half, those third downs went pick six, sack, three incompletions that came under pressure, and then a five-yard screen pass to Kareem Hunt on that late touchdown drive. So... That's kind of how things have worked out. Blitzing Mayfield hasn't really – I know we've talked about blitzing him when they played the Colts, but really overall it hasn't necessarily been a key to success. The Browns allowed the third fewest number of pressures through weeks one through five, but they allowed the second most to the Steelers on Sunday. So everything just seemed to turn around against the Steelers this week. Baker was actually pretty good against the Blitz through the first – actually through the four-game winning streak. He was 18 of 25, a touchdown, a sack – and that's pretty much it. So everything kind of went out the window this Sunday, uh, which you know, ended up being a, a huge step back and a big reason why we're going to be talking about Baker today.
1: So, so just again, so I, I think I might have missed this. You, you said he was under pressure 40% of the time? 47%
0: of his dropbacks against the
1: Steelers. 47% of his dropbacks, he was under pressure against the Steelers. And 47% of your dropbacks under pressure is high, medium, low, like, for a, like a typical quarterback in a typical game. It was high for him.
0: 38% had been the previous high. That was okay. Washington. And after that, you're looking at 33% by the Cowboys. So neither of those two games were, were situations where we felt Baker was, you know, under duress the whole game. But I think if you remember back to the Washington game, they did get a decent amount of pressure on him. Um, again, the numbers is a little higher because he only went two drives into the second half. But still, for when he was out there, um, the Steelers were definitely getting it done.
1: So Ellis, I'm going to assume the fact that the actual number of time that he was pressured 47% of his dropbacks. And if Scott had said, Doug, would you like to guess before I give you the stat? I would have said 97% of the dropbacks. That's bad, right? That it feels like I feel like maybe they did pressure him a lot and maybe they didn't blitz him a lot, but they pressured him a lot. I feel like they blitzed him in his mind. I feel like maybe there wasn't, like, they didn't blitz him on the field. They blitzed him emotionally. They blitzed him, like, in what he thinks is going on, and the idea that as much as he was under pressure, it felt like more, I'm going to
2: assume Ellis, is not good. Yeah, Doug, that's exactly it. It looked like 2019 Baker Mayfield, meaning Baker gets in these moments where he creates a pass rush that isn't actually there. He gets in his head, He his feet get happy, and he starts escaping and not even evading the pocket at times, just moving around a pocket that is actually there. That's why he's able to move around. He's escaping from nothing, which then bring his eyes down in front of him rather than upfield to see targets. And when, when that happens, you're, you're eliminating the play. It's, it's now not even a broken play. It's, it's, a, it's a quarterback scramble that materially it's usually into a delayed sack or a, a short loss. One thing that I think is important to uh, point out when we're talking about this game with the Steelers, and I'm going to point it out in a film study later in the week. um, Yes, the Steelers, I was surprised by those blitz numbers too. Doug, you're dead accurate about how it felt like a lot more. But the play that stands out to me is Baker's second interception. Uh, TJ Watt got a great jump off the ball uh, from the right side there against Jack Conklin. And it looked like Jack Conklin just got beat. But really what happened was Baker Mayfield isn't, didn't change up his snap count. The, the Steelers knew exactly when the ball was going to get snapped. And from what – look, you're not on the field. You, you can't hear what he's saying. But from what I saw is Baker Mayfield put his hands up calling for the ball. The play clock was running low. And that then triggers T.J. Watt knowing the ball's coming and he can just get off the edge. So that's a, an example, two examples of first Baker Mayfield creating pressure in his head that isn't actually there. And then at times creating pressure for himself by doing something he could just clean up pre-snap by being faster and also changing up his snap count. So whether it's actual pressure or pressure he's creating for himself, those are both signs of a quarterback that has the game moving too fast in front of him and his mind isn't keeping up with it. I think it's going to be super important
1: as we go through this over the next hour or so. To put all this in context, because I think the thing that's happening and, and I meant to get this done, jury duty screwed up my life. I, I, I want to be on a jury so bad, but uh, I also it's football season in Ohio State starting this week and like the Browns are exploding, but they're also four and two. So it was not great timing. Mm-hmm. American judicial system, which I'm happy to be a part of. I didn't get it done. But that play, the Fitzpatrick interception is such I think like every, there's no it's all that is the thing that why everybody's talking about this because it got away but it got away on his first throw a pick six on your first throw when you throw it straight to the safety the whole world knows that stinks so I think that's why all this is happening and we all see it but like what does it mean what does it mean what does it mean and I asked Kevin Stefanski about that play which is why I need to write about it but Scott I think it's super important. For instance, the facts got at the top that you said, listen, Pittsburgh didn't blitz him all that much, not as much as you thought, not as much as we thought coming in, not as much as you thought while you watched the game. But actually, coming into the game, he'd been pretty good against the blitz. I think one of the, the most important thing, not one of, I think the most important thing with Baker right now is, is the Pittsburgh game the last straw? Because it's a continuation of something that has been happening last year. And in the first five games before Pittsburgh this year? Or is it like a worst case scenario? It was awful, but it's a little more of a horrible Sunday that's not as connected to everything else. And that's what I'm really curious about to try to get at that a little bit on this podcast. But so, Scott, your point that he's been pretty good against the Blitz and that four game winning streak, that your numbers there, that surprised me a little bit because it feels like at the moment, it's like, well, Baker, you know, like that's. But is that not important, right, that, that you have blitz numbers that say, hey, it's not like if you blitz him, you can just kill this guy and destroy this offense every single week?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it takes more than just that. You have to make the blitz work. And, and if Baker's able to pick it up and make the right decisions, then, then the Browns are winning. I think it's important to point out that that Fitzpatrick pick, is, this, is he's thrown six this year. Two of them have come with no pressure, and that was one of them. And I think when you back up the second half of that Colts game to what we saw in the Steelers game, things like that get highlighted. But it is only the second pick he's thrown uh, where he hasn't been under pressure. Last year, 15 of his 21 interceptions came when he was not under pressure. So that was a huge thing last year. So I don't is that a sign of progress? I, I don't know if he could say that. Uh, his, inter- you-
1: <laughs> his interceptions are getting better. Yes, he's
0: throwing more when he's under pressure and less when he's not. Maybe that's maybe that's a sign of progress. Who knows when he's under pressure, though, it is going in the wrong direction. He completed 51 percent of his passes under pressure as a rookie that dropped to 45 percent last year. And now he's down to 41 percent. And a big issue last year, like I said, was the 15 picks uh, when he wasn't under pressure. But what is trending in the right direction? uh, Well, actually, in in the right direction is pressure that Baker is bringing on himself. Uh, Last year, as you remember, he got into trouble by himself a lot he had 32 pressures of his own making according to pff which was second on the team to chris hubbard that included nine sacks as a rookie he had been only tagged with 15 pressures by himself so he just took a big jump in the wrong direction this year again it's not good he's got 13 already which puts him on pace for 34 which is more than 32 so he's actually going at a worse rate this year and this is with a revamped offensive line that's ranked first in pass blocking by pff um, football outsiders has a adjusted sack rate metric they're 11th in that which is up six or seven spots from last year so this is in theory a better offensive line and in practice what we've seen a better offensive line but again Baker seems to be having the same problems he had last year where he's responsible for a lot of his own uh, his own pressures he had two sacks against the Steelers that were his fault one of those was uh, when he scrambled and he ran out of bounds like right at the first down marker which is technically a sack but it's still him being under pressure and having to Run out of the pocket. So the trend here, though, is clear that after six games, we're seeing a lot of what we saw last year. He leads the team in pressures by himself. Judger Jer- Jer- Wills is second with 10. So that's where he is compared to where he's been the last two years.
1: And that to me sounds like a stat that Ellis would be high on your list of problems. Is that, is that true?
2: Very much so, Doug. Um, I have a, a, a game written down here that I wanted to play with you guys. It's called Four Truths and No Lies. Um, we (laughs) dive into it later. No lies. (laughs) That's one of the things on my list here that Scott pointed out. Um, number three, Baker takes bad sacks and that's goes hand in hand with him creating his own pressures. And again, that is the sign of a quarterback getting happy feet, their eyes moving down to then escape a pocket and escape pressure that isn't even there. And it's a product of, of good defense moving too fast. For him to then calibrate and translate to calm pocket presence and he, he scatterbrained.
1: So this is the kind of thing that we're going to get get into a lot in the second half of this podcast. And I think this is going to be good. The first half of this podcast is point out the mistakes. And the second half of the podcast is going to be what do you do about it? Okay. Um, but But this is, again, this is one of those. And it's been an interesting time on Brown social media, which interesting is good there are not a ton of Baker stands left, not a ton. I think people are getting, everybody's seeing the same thing. There are a couple people who are, who are, you know, maybe still stand up saying, Hey, it's not that bad. I think there's a lot of people who are most Browns fans, I think are agreeing like this is a problem. But then again, the second half of the pot is okay. But then what, what does that mean? What does it mean for the team? What does it mean for Baker? What does it mean? How Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry handle this? So Scott, but when you looked up those stats, the idea that as a rookie, he did not run himself into unnecessary pressure in year two. He did. And that he is continuing that in year three. Is that what you expected? Like, were you expecting to be like, yeah, does the numbers matter here. But as you got ready to look at the numbers, were you anticipating like sort of, yeah, this kind of feels the same to me that he's still doing that from year two
0: before, before this week, not necessarily, I didn't realize he was on the same uh, rate of, uh, of self-inflicted wounds here that he was last year. Um, but I mean, after seeing the Steelers game and he's not, um, like Ellis said, the, the jittery, the, the, the kind of, uh, uncertainty when holding the ball, the not, not throwing it right away, but maybe kind of pumping it once and holding, it, pulling it back. We've seen that a lot. So when you kind of add those up that, you know, you realize that, that, yeah, this is the guy who's kind of on the same path he was last year, which doesn't make as much sense through the first five games, at least or really, you know, weeks two through five, because you know, this, this offensive line was performing well and they put so much into upgrading a tackle. They had, now we, we haven't said that they didn't have Wyatt Teller against the Steelers, but up to that point, you know, you had one of the top performing uh, guards uh, in what we thought was supposed to be the quote unquote weak spot on this offensive line. Uh, so yeah, I mean, overall it is kind of a surprise that we've gotten to this point and he's back here uh, creating his own, his own problems.
1: I I will say one of the things that I said a million times last year was kind of like, well, I'd have happy feet if my tackles were Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard too. So I sort of like excused a lot of that. I'm like, listen, I think his lack of confidence in his offensive line, specifically his tackles is in his head. And that is affecting how he plays. Even when they do give him a pocket, he's expecting that they won't. And then they got the 10th pick in the draft and the highest price tackle on the market. And he's doing it again which to me makes it worse because you fixed the thing that you thought was the thing that not only was hurting you, but was sort of messing him up, which is why I would have, I thought every dime and every, every bit of draft capital they spent on tackle was worth it because you've got to let this quarterback feel confident in the line, but the, they did it, the line's playing well, and he's still doing it. That, that is worse to me, Ellis, right? Is that even, Hey man, if you don't trust your tackles, you don't trust them. But he should trust these guys, and he doesn't
2: trust these guys. Exactly, Doug. And I love how you frame that because I think this is an important moment, a snapshot in Baker Mayfield's trajectory, his history, a point we'll never be at again. And what I mean by that is you're, what you just did there was walk through Baker's career thus far. Rookie year, defenses don't have any tape on him a little bit of a scattered O-line. He's able to freelance a little more. He got the ball quick, but in times of panic, he could bootleg right where he's still deadly and could put balls on the money, all right? Now we're getting into 2019. Team starts figuring that out a little more. His tackles still aren't shirt up, but still, when you get outside the pocket, he could have success, but team started to figure out, blitzing him up in the three gap, so over the center and guards, blitzing him in front and keeping him in the pocket forces him then to progress and become a pocket passer. And when he gets rushed internally, he panics. And when he's forced to be a pocket passer, he isn't comfortable being that. And the reason I think this Steelers game is such a fascinating snapshot in this Baker Mayfield history is because we'll never be here again. We're talking about this right now because of how he played against Baltimore and then how he played against the Steelers. If he plays like this again against like this against Baltimore and the Steelers, it's going to be hard for anyone not to fall on the side that you probably can tell that I'm falling on here. And the reason I think this game was so fascinating was because of Kevin Stefanski's game plan. I want to throw this guys at, at you guys really quickly. In those first five drives, the Browns called seven run plays and 14 pass plays. Those seven runs went for 24 yards. Okay. Not impressive, but you know, you're still, it's positive plays against a really good run defense, which, Compared to what I'm about to tell you, what happened in those 14 passing attempts were this two sacks, which was what was number three on four truths and no lies. Baker takes bad sacks. So, two sacks, one holding penalty, and two interceptions. The Browns' drives went interception, punt, 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 interception. And by the time there was five minutes left in the second quarter, the Browns were down 24 0. So, what that tells me is Kevin Safansky believed in his quarterback and in his game plan saying, I can't run on this team. My quarterback needs to be a pocket passer in order to beat the Steelers, which is what we saw a lot of the Eagles try and do. In shotgun, I'm going to throw to beat this team. I'm going to spread them out. And Baker couldn't do it. it, it to me, it, it is that simple. This is no longer about the tackles. This is no longer about teams not knowing what Baker is. He's got the tackles, and teams know what Baker is. It's up to him to make that next jump, and, and we haven't seen it yet. And those drive numbers point that out, and it, to me, it highlights what Kevin Sapanti's game plan was and then ultimately Baker Mayfield not able to hold his own side of that game plan.
1: So we're breaking it down here. We're giving you the hard truths. We're telling you what is up so we can tell you what should happen again, context, this pressure, the way it, uh, anything under pressure. I, so I, I, we've said like the COVID put the whole world under pressure. You find out a lot. Yeah, Everyone's kind of like rolling along. Everything's good. Yeah, Go to the movies. Yeah, everybody's good. And now the world explodes And you find out what's up in everything, in every facet of life, life, you find out what is up. So to look at Baker under pressure is the best way to look at Baker overall. So Scott, again, the context, how does he compare to other quarterbacks? I've been trying to do these young quarterback rankings. I didn't didn't get to them last week, but that's why I'm doing that because I'm trying to compare him. I'm not worried about comparing him to, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger. But this group appears in and Tua, by the way, Tua Tagovailoa is starting this week for the Dolphins. Again, it's about half the starting quarterbacks in the league were drafted in the last five years in this Baker-Pierre group. How does it compare to the rest of the quarterbacks in the league under pressure, Scott?
0: First, uh, first you, you had asked earlier if 47% is high. Um, that's actually what Jeff, Jeff Driscoll is at, although he's only played in two games for Denver. He's at 47.4. Daniel Jones uh, is top here on the list. Uh, as far as guys who have played six games, he's at 44. So in other words, yeah, uh, 47% uh, is a lot. Okay. Um, especially if it's <laughs> over six games, like, uh, like Daniel Jones is, is experiencing. But this is where I think we need to point out that some quarterbacks deal with pressure, running themselves into pressure, and deal with it better than Baker and deal with it better than a lot of quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes was charged for 33 of his own pressures last season. That was one more than Baker had. Mahomes has 22 this season. He's first overall. Uh, But if you look at everybody ahead of Baker, who's eighth in self-inflicted pressure this season, you see names like Mahomes, Sean Watson, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, quarterbacks who can run and kind of known for their escapability. That's not Baker. He's more like Gardner Minshew, who's also ahead of him. Uh, You know, guys who are, when they're running, they're scrambling. And Mahomes has only been sacked six times and is completing 65% of his passes and has one pick. So for keeping those keeping score at home, Baker Mayfield is not Patrick Mahomes. Just, to, we should to be point fair, that out.
1: I mean, one of the things that, that makes Patrick Mahomes different than Baker Mayfield is, is that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. Also, it's just something that, that it makes him different than Baker.
0: There you go. Baker is 17 in, 17th in pressured dropbacks. Yeah, 31% of the time he's pressured, but he's 29th in completion percentage under pressure. So he's not getting the, uh, he's getting kind of subpar production based on how much he's getting pressured, which Minshew again, like we mentioned before 31%, just like Baker, as far as how often he's pressured, but he's 16th in, in completion percentage. He's got three touchdowns, one interception. Baker's got one touchdown, four interceptions. I'm not saying Minshew is definitely the bar that Baker Mayfield should be striving for here, but, yeah. but he's a better comparison God, than Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or the other guys uh, I feel ahead. like
1: I feel like if we're dealing with the Minshew bar, the it's lost, it's over. It's like, well, you know, if he could be Gardner Minshew, it's oh, is that where we are? We're not at the Minshew line, are we? Okay, keep talking. Oh my
0: well, God. well, here's another line, and I don't think we've gone a, a week here on this uh, podcast without comparing Baker to Kirk Cousins. But last year, Cousins was under pressure, thirty-six percent of his dropbacks, which is more than Baker is getting so far. One pick, seven touchdowns, 52% completion percentage. So this is all just another way of saying Baker is not performing at the level we expected him to in, in Kevin Stefanski's offense.
1: I will say I found myself, and I'll make my points about this in the second half, but I did find myself in the games after the Browns game on Sunday looking for other quarterbacks who played poorly. (laughs) <laughs> to be able to say like it's he's not the only one so i know i i think some people pointed out hey aaron Rodgers threw two pick sixes against the bucks it's like okay that's that's not it that is not but i know josh allen was like 12 i mean thank you i don't josh allen was like completed 50 percent of his passes uh against the chiefs and i think Kyler murray completed like nine passes but he also ran all over the place and one of the passes was an 80 yard touchdown. And so, so again, it's like, it's, you start going like, well, you know, it's not, but that's not the point. The point is not let's find other poor quarterback performances, but I do think the context matters. The context matters a lot. And so Ellis, again, like Scott's leaving some numbers here. Baker's pretty bad under pressure. Like you, you do not trust him when people are coming after him, or you do not trust that he's going to find a way to, not run himself into some pressure that wouldn't otherwise be there. He's, is he, he's near, is he near the bottom of the league from your standpoint of like guys that you would want in those situations?
2: You know, Doug, we can keep my personal opinion out of this because I'll just throw his numbers versus the Ravens and Steelers at you this season. He's got a 54% completion percentage and he's thrown for 308 yards versus two of the more blitz happy teams in the league. Now, I I know we just went over how the Steelers didn't blitz him that much, but at the end of the day, whether you're blitzing or generating pressure, either inflicted due to offensive line play or self-inflicted, as Scott has very well pointed out, most of the pressure is, that's still being under pressure. So if you're telling me my quarterback is averaging about 150 yards passing per game with a 54% completion percentage versus teams that are good at applying pressure, he's not my guy.
0: And we should point out, too, that, I mean, Tom Brady is not good under pressure. He completes like, you know, 43% of his passes. Aaron Rodgers, horrible under pressure this year. But the difference is those guys have one pick under pressure between them. Baker's got four, which is tied for the league lead. So there are good quarterbacks who do not perform well under pressure, but it's the good ones are going to avoid being the reason their team loses or doing things that directly contribute to that. If you throw a game completion, that's fine. If you throw the ball away, that's fine. It's better than, than what we saw from Baker against the Steelers.
1: Can, can I make a point that has come up a couple times? I think it came up maybe in the postgame pod, and then I was on the, the, the Tuesday pod with Mary Kay and Dan, and I think it might have been mentioned again today. Maybe I'm off on this. I didn't have that huge of a problem with the second pick. I mean, I thought the, the first pick is, like, unforgivable. He just threw it right to a guy because he misread the coverage and there, it wasn't under pressure and it was a pick six to start the game. I don't remember what the score was. I guess I should look that up. I guess they were down
0: 17-0 at that
1: point okay, so the Steelers down-
0: got the ball at midfield and then scored in
1: 24 nothing. So it's 17-0. You're under pressure. You're trying to do something. You escape. You're trying to do something. He thought he saw somebody. And then in the heat of the moment, thinking, and I think he thought Richard Higgins might have been open, he tried to make a play with his team down three scores and threw a bad ball into a bad spot when there actually wasn't something there. But it went nuts. Like, stuff was going nuts. And so at that point in the game, 17-0 when the, the world's exploding, I, I get it. It was a bad decision don't do it again. But like the first interception is like, Oh my gosh, he can't read defenses anymore. Right. That was like, so I don't know, but I feel like other people have had more of an issue with the second interception. So I'll ask both
2: you guys, Ella's first, is that second interception pretty bad in your mind, Doug? I think it was his, the worst play of the season for him. Really? Uh, I do. I do. And here's why Um I already explained why here I'll preface it saying this way. It's like in any situation at home, you, you try and cover something up, okay? You you tell a little white lie that you probably shouldn't have and now you're trying to get out of it. And usually the cover up is worse than the initial mistake, just in, in general. We could talk politics, we can talk just simple stuff at home or on a football field. The cover up is usually worse than the mistake. Baker Mayfield tried to cover up for the mistake of not switching up his snap count with allowing TJ Watt to get an easy run at him and completely blow the play up. Cause now as soon as he messes up that snap count, the play's over it is a broken play from the jump advantage defense and how does baker mayfield compound that problem first i'll give him credit he escapes the sack he should have just been sacked he escapes the rush now you can just throw it away live for third down in a in a in a three score game and you know three touchdowns put you up don't kick field goals in a game instead he compounds the problem by throwing it up for grabs essentially the equivalent of a Tristan Thompson fade away from 34 feet with the shot clock expiring uh, into quadruple coverage, essentially with a a sinking cover two corner that had nothing to cover flat. And and then the game's over. The Steelers go down and score uh, their third touchdown and fourth point of the game or fourth scoring drive of the game. And, And now it's really over. So I just, I can't defend someone as a gunslinger mentality type of Brett Favre play trying to will your team back with just a knuckleheaded play that you caused from the jump, allowing TJ Watt to get a jump like that.
1: I'm looking at the ESPN play by play. I think it was third down. Yeah, so, third it's, 12. so it's third and 12. So if he throws it out of bounds, so they're punting it, it, the, the seal is intercepted at 16 yards from the line of scrimmage. So, all right, you let Gillum come in. It probably cost him 25 yards of field position. The Pittsburgh took over at midfield instead of at the 20 on third gonna- down. You're, I mean, you know, he did escape the sack. He did a bad thing, snap count, let TJ Watt in. Then he did a good thing, get away. And then he did a bad thing. So overall, that's only, that's only one bad thing total with the bad thing math on that play. But I feel like I, I know what you're saying, but I also feel like, and I like getting a little lens into the home life of Ellis Williams, just like, you know, when you tell a lie at home, um, <laughs> it was silly. Like it was, but it was like, oh god, I, I like, I just lost my mind because I thought TJ Watt was going to rip my my neck off, and then I was running, and then I thought I saw something, and I tried to do something, as opposed to like I'm standing in a clean pocket and I throw it to Mega Fitzpatrick. That's the thing for me. So I I, I get what you're saying, but I will say, you know, TJ Watt tried to disembowel him, and he got, and he got away, and then he he freaked out.
2: Disembowel. That's a great word. Um, quick counter to that. Quick counter to that. You're pay, you 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 are playing the most important position in pro sports. Your job is to recalibrate quickly when something goes wrong and not compound the problem. So I just I don't think that is a cop out that you know he was flustered and out of control. And secondly, this is the theme with Baker Mayfield, whether it's the interceptions he's thrown in their own uh, scoring territory, uh, one versus the Bengals and one versus uh, I believe that would have been the Cowboys. You know when he's turning the ball over when they could kick field goals. Field position is so important for a team like this, especially a team that needs to be good in the margins. So if you're saying it's a 16-yard difference, well, you know, they could punt the ball downfield, and now you have Miles Garrett and the Steelers, you know, on their 8, 10-yard line, and who knows what can happen. They, You know, the, the, the Philip Rivers had a sack last week. So I think the thing with Baker Mayfield is you have to know your job, and your job is to both protect the football and play a field position game, and thus that interception becomes even more inexcusable.
1: And I do think, and I think we talked about this before. It's like, he's trying to make like a big play there and he hasn't made many big plays. So it's like, again, this is the whole balance of, and when Scott's going through, that's the point you're making Scott, you're going through guys who run themselves into pressure. And it's like, well, Patrick Mahomes runs himself into pressure and then gets out of it and throws a 60 yard touchdown. Kyler Murray runs himself into pressure and then does a spin move and runs for 30 yards. Aaron Rodgers throws a pass behind his back for a touchdown. So. The other guys who, who wind up in these bad spots, then on the other end create great things. And that's what seems so out of balance with Baker right now. But Scott, did you, what did you think of overall of that, that second interception pretty bad think, or not as bad? I think they were both equally
0: as bad because they both led to, to points. You know, they scored directly off the first one. And the, the second one uh, gives them the ball at midfield and it leads to a touchdown. So I, I know that they're different in how they happened, but you know you're down seventeen nothing. I'd rather see him throw the ball away or and punt, and, and like I said, get get better field position and give your defense uh, a chance to give you the ball back with without giving up points. And you know the offense, uh, the Steelers' offense has only scored ten points to that point. So I think throwing it away is a better option and letting your letting your front line try to get some pressure on Roethlisberger, which obviously was was a chore on Sunday. But I, I like that better than just
2: throwing it up. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point by Scott because up until that out and up that Denzel Ward was fried on. Uh, the Browns were playing Big Ben well, a couple three and outs. And the last thing about this, you know, the Mahomes, Rogers, Murray, Russell Wilson conversation we're having, those offenses are built to thrive in chaos. They're they're cool with plays breaking down, and hey, let's just have some chaos and play some backyard football. It's it's reminiscent of uh, the Green Bay Packers of the 2010s: Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Greg Jennings. A Rod was cool with just you know, let's just see what happens. This Browns team, not only like Kevin's Fancy said, they're not built to overcome a deficit or built to overcome turnovers. They're not built to play in chaos either.
1: All right. That's the groundwork. That's the foundation. You got numbers. You got analysis on Baker Mayfield under pressure, which is a good way to look at Baker Mayfield. We're going to take a break. I've got to watch the tape. We're going to reset. We have three different questions where Scott Ellis and I are all going to give sort of like a percentage of how, how important we think this is, how we balance the analysis of this. This is going to be a little more of a debate but I, we just had a hard time saying like how how can you talk about anything other than Baker Mayfield right now? Now, so we have a second. Got to watch the tape on Fridays, and we'll start. That's we'll get into what's going to happen against Cincinnati, and they're still four and two, and they still. I was looking at playoff odds. I mean, I think the the playoff odds on uh, Football Outsiders still had them. I think around at least fifty percent for the playoffs or whatever. So there are other things, but you got to do Baker Mayfield right now. That's what we'll do in the second half. Thanks to Scott for that deep dive. We'll be right back on. Got to watch the tape. All right, we're back on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsco from cleveland.com. Make sure you're reading these guys every day at cleveland.com slash Browns. Uh, we have a great Browns Insiders Pack, a Browns Insider Package where you get separate Nugget daily. You get – um Tech, the tech subscription with Mary Kay and everybody, Dan and, and Scott and Ellis chiming in, what's going on with the Browns? They text it right to your phone. Sometimes you go on Cleveland.com. Some of the stories are free. Some of the stories are for exclusive for insiders. And I don't know the number. You guys, What's the number? To, what's the text number for the Browns? You guys oh, got it off the top of your head? Good Lord,
0: Where's Dan Labby when you need him? Yeah, I Dan's
1: know. Dan's the only one that has that memorized. He, he, I, I have the Ohio State one memorized. If you guys want to subscribe to Ohio State, we'll take you there too. But <laughs> You'll find it. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. And like right across the top, you click on the banner there and you can become a a subscriber and you just get, there's just so much value right now because there's so much interest in this team. And there's so much interest in this quarterback. Here are the three topics that we want to cover. And I will say, I already saw, I saw someone did a post today and listen, people, people can do whatever they want to do and, and different Types of readers and different types of fans want different kinds of analysis right now. But I saw someone do a post of like five veteran quarterbacks that the Browns could get if They give up on Baker Mayfield. And it's like, okay, I guess we're in, we're in the off season and trying to figure out if the Lions are going to dump Matthew Stafford and whether he should, I, I, I guess, if that's what you want to do when they're four and two, that's fine. Uh, that's what I'm not interested in that right now. I'm I'm more interested in like the discussion about the guy that's here and what should the guy that's here, what can you do with him rather than, play uh you know what current eighth grader could the browns draft seven years from now to replace baker mayfield i mean like you can play that game all you want we played that game when they were one and 15 and 0 and 16 they're four and two so i'd rather play the game of like what's up right now on sunday what's up in this next five winnable games five winnable games i don't know if you guys listened to the tuesday podcast with me and dan and mary kay we predicted what we thought their record would be after the next five games against these five teams that they are absolutely capable of beating. And, uh, you know, I said 8-3. Uh, and three. So, you know, it's like it's weird to think about. It. It's like, how would you feel if the Browns were 8-3? I, I assume you'd be dancing in the streets. So, like, that's still out there, as bad as Sunday was. But we have to talk about this quarterback. And actually, I think that's what we need to talk about because you need to figure out the way he's playing. If he keeps playing like this, can, they, can he play better? What does that do to the chance of being 8-3 and three after 11 games? So, let's do the first topic. What percent more this was the question that Ella said, what the heck are you trying to say with this question? So <laughs> no, my phrasing here is perhaps leaves a little to be desired. What percent more successful would the browns be this year if they had league average quarterback play and i by league average quarterback play that's a stand in for case Kino so I I don't – one of the questions is not should they bench Baker Mayfield for Case Keenum because I don't really want to play that game today either because that's Kevin Stefanski's call, and I don't want to be way out in front of Kevin Stefanski on this. But that's what I'm talking about. So the idea is if they just put in a Case Keenum type guy, what percent better would this offense and therefore this team be? And I don't know that it would translate to any different record right now, I don't know that if you had league average quarterback play, you'd, you would have beaten Baltimore or Pittsburgh, but you might feel a little better about the four and two. It wouldn't have been a miserable four and two Monday for Browns fans. So I'm trying to wrap my head around that because it applies going forward. Like how much, how much better of a chance do you think they would have at being eight and three after 11 games if they just had league average quarterback play? And then kind of in this equation is, do you think Baker Mayfield can give them league average quarterback play? Start to do that. So I think that's part of the component too, but they're not getting league average quarterback play right now. What was that? Is Was he 29th in DVOA or something? I mean, like he is down there, right? I mean, he's 25th. down there 25th in DVOA. So yeah. that's what we're talking about. And Ellis, we'll start with you. How, what percent? Cause here's the thing. I think the thing that's important. If you think they're 90% better with league average quarterback play, that influences what you think they should do. Like, like, if you think, If you think they're 90% better with league average quarterback play, you think if they put in Case Keenum, they might make the AFC championship game. That to me, like, right? like, And there might be people who think that, and that might be true. So that's what I want to wrap our heads around. Ellis, where are you
2: on this? This is real simple for me. I think they'd be 0% better with league average quarterback play. And I I understand the point about DVOA. Uh, It it really depends on – the way you frame this, because, you know, you can go to QBR and Baker Mayfield is somehow is a better QBR than, than Tom Brady. So I think oh.
1: that's, that's Tom Brady <laughs> calling
2: you. Tom Brady saying, hey, <laughs> How dare you say that? Saying, don't talk like, Don't talk about me like that. Don't talk about me like that. I'm hoping that doesn't happen again. Here we go. Here's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this team is built to have their quarterback take what's available to them. And for the most part, I think Baker Mayfield has been doing that. He's been, we can't forget how successful he's been in the red zone. That is the hardest, one of the hardest things to be in the NFL is a successful NFL red zone quarterback. And that's what Baker Mayfield so far has been. Now you can credit Kevin's fancy for how he dresses these plays up, but Baker Mayfield still needs to go out there and execute. So where he is falling short is against the good to great defenses and those pressure moments And average isn't going to be better in those moments anyway. That's that's what separates average from good or even then good to great. So if we're talking Case Keenum or we're even talking, we brought up Gardner Minshew, if we're talking those type of quarterbacks, I'm not interested. Baker Mayfield is the quarterback for that reason because he can and is already at that level. This whole conversation, this whole season has been about Baker taking that leap. And so far we haven't seen that. But it, would this team's record be any different? They're not beating Baltimore. They're not beating Pittsburgh with a league average quarterback. And they're not advancing in the playoffs with a league average quarterback. So I understand the 0% answer is probably boring. I'll get it a little juicier as the second segment goes on. And I call Tom Brady back later. But for now, <laughs> I don't see, see the team being any better with plugging in said league average QB. That is the
1: opposite of a boring answer. It is not at all what I thought you would say.
2: Okay.
1: And – I think that is an incredibly salient point for Browns fans to hear that, hey, because there are – if you are a person – hey, Case Keenum, let's go put – you're saying they wouldn't be any better. So, like, what's the point? I think it's – and people can disagree – but that you said this, I did, that is not where I thought you were gonna go, but I think it is a really smart answer and it's actually affecting my answer potentially, but I am very curious to see what Scott says about this. Scott, like what percent different would it be?
0: Uh, and I, I wrote this down, I typed it. I, I, there's no way for me to show you, so, to prove that I'm not just copying off Ellis, but I too had zero percent
1: Can I just uh, say, change because- You guys are warming the cockles of my heart. I feel so good right now, I wanna cry. I feel better. I feel reassured. Anyone out there, go tell your friends that they shouldn't bench him for Case Keenum because Allison Scott both said zero. I'm so happy. Go ahead. I'm so happy.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, that's too good. We're really so much of this again is like perception. It's you know we're we're coming off the second half of the Colts game. And we just saw the Steelers game, and, and and we're thinking we got that in our heads. But what we're really talking about here is feelings in a way, and how would we feel about those four wins? I guess if, if, if it was somebody other than Baker, if the league quote unquote, league average quarterback slash case Keenum was the guy. And I, I don't know if it would be any better than where we're at right now, because I don't see the Browns beating the Steelers or the Ravens with case Keenum. So then again, you're focusing on those four wins. If if case Keenum is your quarterback this year, what are we doing? We're talking about who's the quarterback of the future. And we're, we're having all these other discussions that are taking up our time and worrying fans about, about the future. Instead, it's Baker Mayfield. It's six games into the season. We're still waiting for him to make that jump. He hasn't made it, but again, we're just six games into the season. They're four and two. He was the 23rd ranked quarterback uh, by PFF grade during that four game win streak. So it's not like Baker Mayfield was playing great even when they were winning, but I don't look at any, I don't look at the Steelers game or the Ravens game and say, Baker Mayfield is the reason they lost that.
1: This is seriously, we're providing a service. You, I, I'm passing on my answer because I was going to say like 15%, but you guys are right. We're providing a service to Browns fans because this, there are layers to this discussion, but the very first layer is how much better they would be right now. If he wasn't the quarterback and you're not going to go get Patrick Mahomes and you can't go trade for Russell Wilson. And you're not going to magically find that guy right now. The only guy on this roster right now who has a chance to be like that is Baker Mayfield, if he gets a lot better. So there's a secondary component to this of like, at what point do you think they have to move on so they can go chase their own Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or Josh Allen or whatever. Right. That is the secondary component of this, but that is different than he's ruining them. They can't play with him. This is hopeless. End it. And I just think it's a very interesting point. Ellis, go ahead.
2: Yeah. That's what I think we do need to keep in mind here too, though, is we're assuming that this only trends in a better direction, you know, and that's why I think this conversation can only really happen this week in, in Brown's media or in Brown's fandom on Brown's Twitter, because each week, what is what makes the season so fascinating with the Browns is we get new information, you know, Baker bounces back and plays against the Bengals. Like he really has his entire career. This conversation is then tabled. Now, if he somehow regresses and I'm kind of teasing uh, the, the question we got in the post-game pod about how long is Baker's leash here. And I just really think it's important to keep in mind, we're assuming this Baker's the only Baker we get because it's a good defense. We're not taking into account a possible regression because it probably is unlikely, but I do think it's important to keep in mind that if he somehow comes out and doesn't look like the Baker that usually is comfortable against the Cincinnati secondary, then we're revisiting this conversation in a way that where this league average quarterback discussion, or could Case Keenum improve this team? It's a different conversation. And I just think that's important to keep in context.
1: Because he then becomes no longer league average. Now it's like, well, now you're replacing like the one of the two or three worst quarterbacks in the league with league average. And maybe if you're talking about a regression and that leads us into the next point, if you're talking into a a regression, then I think you start talking about your quarterback is losing you games. You should win and then of course that obviously changed the discussion but i think you're making a really good point ellis i was mean to you i was kind of a jerk on the postgame pod i can handle it Doug. come on i know know. but it's a trial by fire man listen this is uh, you know i i sometimes it's like and i know the great sid hartman uh who passed away at age 100 the legendary minneapolis columnist and, and ellis uh you're from minnesota but did you ever meet have a chance to
2: meet sid by the way Sure did. I interned uh, in the Star Tribune Sports Department for six months there in 2016, and saw Sid walk across uh, down from the down the hallway into his office about four times a week, and he couldn't. His nurses couldn't keep up with him. He was on a mission to get to that office and write his columns. Um, He only called me intern a couple times, you know, just that kind of stuff. But um, R.I.P. Sid Hartman, a legend, and and just it's been so cool to hear all those stories. So just appreciate you giving me the time to say that. So whenever somebody dies,
1: I make it about myself. And I think like, we <laughs> all? So, it's like Sid Hartman lived to be a hundred. I'll be lucky to get to 50, but there's just wonderful stories. And I always think to myself, man, when I die, people are going to be like, well, that jerk's dead. So it's, that's will be, that's, I would like it to be like, Oh, look, I'm being hard on Ellis in the post-game pod to help him grow. I'm just a jerk. I don't just, so you're going to be, you're going to be putting me in my place soon enough. So, But I think you make a really good point about this is an interesting dividing line in this discussion because question number two, what percent do you think Baker is broken and unfixable? And what percent do you think he can improve and that he can get back to looking like he did? I know I think PFF had a stat today that in his rookie year, he had seven games where he graded over 80 by the PFF metric. He had one last year and he has none this year. So the complicating factor, the most complicating factor with Baker is that we've seen it. We saw a version of it. Listen, this is not, some of these guys, listen, John, you know, and I'm going through a list and I'm, I would really want to write this this week, just really analyzing how any quarterback in the last decade track drafted in the top 10 was handled. Cause most of them get a lot of patience, and the ones who don't get any patience prove right away. They don't deserve it. It's like, well, that was a whiff and and we're past that with Baker because he showed something. He is not a whiff. He is a regression if this doesn't work. Not a straight from the get-go whiff. And if if a guy's a regression not a whiff, man, like the middle of year 3 or even after year 3 is pretty early. Most most guys get more than that. So the question is, how much can he be fixed? How much what's the percent chance that Kevin Stefanski, Alex Van Pelt, Baker himself more comfort in this offense, whatever, whether it happens this year or over the offseason and into year four. Scott, and this has to add up to hundred. So he's 1% broken, 99% fixable or whatever. What's your ratio? All
0: right, so I tried to base this in some sort of fact, I guess, or at least data that wasn't simply me trying to ballpark uh, averages. So I went and I looked at DVOA. And Kirk Cousins last year, ranked 10th, Fourteen point three, Baker this year is minus sixteen. He's ranked twenty fifth in DVOE. So I kind of took those and kind of came up with a thirty percent. Um, as far as there's a thirty percent change he needs to make to get where he needs to be, but I didn't want to say that he's seventy percent broken. So I flipped that, and I felt okay. I think there's seventy percent that maybe is damaged to this, or thirty percent that's kind of damaged to this point, and seventy percent that is definitely fixable. I don't see him as some sort of lost cause at this point at all.
1: And I think, again, this is an important, I think some people do. I think there are some people who, who may him as a lost cause particularly. And I think whether you view the Pittsburgh game more as a singular event or more as the last straw, I think affects whether you see how much of a lost cause you might view him as right now.
0: I also think that you need to factor in his situation too. This isn't a case where Baker came in and this is his third year with the same coach and the same offense. And they just so happened to change tackles this year and, and, and add, add some tight ends and they gave him everything he needed. This is, as we all know, you know, multiple coaches, multiple offenses, multiple coordinators. And I think you have to factor that in because that's not something that every quarterback goes through.
1: I completely agree. I think 30% broken, 70% fixable is a very interesting ratio. Ellis, what you got?
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm flipping that. I have, and I, I frame this in, in just a, a ballpark type of way that I think he's, and, and again, the, the, the moment in time in which this podcast is recorded is really important for my answer. I think he's 65% gone only because this interception thing is starting to become like the monkey on his back, you know, like, like the yips. Uh, I, I, Baker Mayfield has 11 multi-interceptions games since 2018, since he came into the league, the only two quarterbacks with as many or more. So the, the company in which he's in is Philip Rivers, who Browns fans saw two weeks ago and Jameis Winston, who did not live up to be the number one pick he was selected as, and is now in new Orleans as a rebuilding project. And we'll get a second chance in the league. And that's one thing that this won't, this isn't going to be um, serviceable for Browns fans, but by no means is anything I say me trying to pivot Baker out of the league this, this young man is going to be in the league for a very long time, but we may be looking more at a Winston situation than say a a guy you're going to give a fifth year option to and, and continue to give chances to. And I agree with you guys that he's had a bad break, but simply, and I know this will go into your third question, Doug, time just isn't on his side. So because of where he's at in this fifth year option progression, and the specific point in which he's these interceptions are creeping up and, and, and just the manner in which he threw those interceptions last week. You, I really am concerned if he goes out and throws two more picks against the Bengals, you know, they can win and Baker can still throw interceptions. Th- this is becoming an issue that I, I worry is is now creeping into the James Winston category where you're just turning the ball over and we need to remove you from the situation and you can better yourself later. But that, and then means he's not the Browns quarterback going forward. So 65% gone because of where we're at, because these interceptions are becoming a real problem. But assuming he takes care of business and gets back down to earth versus these weaker opponents that the Browns have lined up, then we're, you know, I I get back to more of a 50, 50, and then even maybe a 40 60 split that he's fixable. But again, the the Baltimore Monday night and Steelers in week 17, and then ultimately a playoff game is where we're going to decide on Baker Mayfield. It's not that cupcake schedule.
1: So I think there's some really important points. Very good answers from both of you. You're not the first person that I talked to this week that used the word the yips when talking about Baker, which I found interesting. I think the important thing here is this is not a Baker Mayfield conversation. This is a Baker Mayfield as a Cleveland Brown conversation. Because not to be a jerk, if he's not the Browns quarterback, I don't care what happens to him. I mean, honestly, because that's the whole point. It's about what the team invested in him what they expected from him, what they built around him. And now they're trying to win with him. And if you can't win with him, then you got to move on. And listen, again, I, I don't want to jump the gun on this discussion and we're not going to, there's a Mariota Tannehill world out there for the Browns, because what happens when you have a young quarterback that you think is your franchise quarterback is you build a team around him to win in his rookie window while he's cheap. And then actually, if he's not great and you don't spend the major money on him and you kind of get a veteran who's maybe on a more manageable deal, but you've built this sort of win now maximize the end of the rookie contract for the co- young quarterback. And you plug Ryan Tannehill in with Derek Henry and a good defense and a smart coach. And you plug in whatever the version of that is with the Browns, with miles Garrett and a good offensive line and a smart coach. Like that's a world. And if they win the Super Bowl without Baker Mayfield, there's not going to be a single person in the Browns parade saying, well, I wish they would have won it with Baker. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> so it's not about Baker. It's about Baker as a Brown. So you make a great point. That's the thing, too, about like, hey, should you go to Case Keenum? He is Case Keenum. His, his floor is Case Keenum. If he doesn't make it here, he's going to be Case Keenum for the next 10 years. So why, and why give in to his floor? and play basement Baker. Who's your backup? Who's Which makes him the perfect Baker backup, by the way. I just don't think you should abandon Hope and go to him now. So I think you make very good points. It is a Baker-Cleveland discussion. I can't dispute you saying that he's that broken outside 25%. And the thing that I am going to continue, 25% broken, 75% fixable, only because he's only been here with Kevin Stefanski for six games. He did not get a full real offseason with Kevin Stefanski. I think he has like, not like I think he is scarred from last year still. I don't think he has shaken those scars. And I just am fascinated by what are they showing him this week? What, when they talk about the Fitzpatrick pick and they say, Baker, why did you throw this? What did you see when they talk about the plays after the Fitzpatrick pick, when guys were open and he wouldn't throw it, did you not see it? If you didn't see it, why not? If you saw ghosts, if you thought a help defender was there, that wasn't, if you saw it and wouldn't let it go, What are those conversations like? And when you have those conversations with him, and of course they've been having them, but Savansky's only had six games with him. Does he look back at you with dead eyes? Or does he look back at you and say, what am I doing? Why did I throw that? Kevin. And Kevin says, Baker, this is it. I think it's possible that this is rock bottom and he hits rock bottom and starts bouncing back up. So that's why I'm only at 25%. And the other thing that's weird is he was hurt last week. I don't think any of his bad plays happened because he was hurt, but he also was hurt. So it's, you know what I mean? It's not like a direct correlation, but sometimes when you don't feel your best, you don't play your best generally. I think he, he could have been hundred percent healthy. He still would have thrown the Fitzpatrick pick and he could have been hundred percent healthy and he still would have thrown the crazy person. Second pick but also I think maybe he would have made a couple more good plays if he had felt better. Right. So I think that is at least a small complicating factor, but that's why I'm at 25. Ellis, go ahead.
2: Yeah. I want to just throw this question at you guys real quickly. I know we have one more thing to get to and we're coming up on our time probably, but this thing about the interceptions, uh, what number of picks would Baker Mayfield have to go? Like Doug, let's say the Browns do go 10 and six. They make the playoffs. What number would Baker Mayfield's end of season interception total have to be at? Where you're like, yeah, that's unacceptable. Because this offense is set up for the quarterback not to turn the ball over. Say what you want to about Kirk Cousins, but he wasn't turning the ball over with Kevin Safansky. He is now that Safansky's gone. So what's the number where even with Stefansky, Baker is not being is not able to protect himself from himself? What's the unacceptable number? So
1: I'm gonna cop out like I think it's it's the type of interceptions, it's when they happen. It's like, do they do they lose a game for you? Does it destroy an offense? like there's only a certain number of that of those FitzPatrick picks that you can okay. deal with you know like you're trying to make a play i'm always more forgiving when you're trying to make a play and you do something stupid when it's just in the moment boom bam boom whoops i didn't see that safety and it's like your your brain is not working like we can't live with that so i would be i'm mostly concerned about the ratio What's the big play to interception ratio? And even though it's anti-Stefanski, I can't check myself. I said it when Deshaun Watson was in college. He threw interceptions at Clemson. I didn't care. I don't care. Give me Deshaun Watson because the thing you're getting on the other side, throw the interceptions. Fine. You're not getting that from Baker right now. So there isn't a number for me, which actually Kevin Stefanski, I think would agree with you because I think Kevin Stefanski does have a number. I think he agrees with you. Yeah. I was just going to say,
2: you're not lining up with the, the Kevin fantasy philosophy there, but Scott, I'm curious what, how you feel about that did, too.
1: Did, did you say the Browns make the playoffs
0: in this scenario? Yes. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care so much with Baker Mayfield's interception number if they do make the playoffs, because that means he didn't lose enough games for them not to make the playoffs. I mean, certainly you don't want to have like a Jameis Winston 30 touchdown 30 pick season, but yeah, I think if they make the playoffs, then you're looking at context. You're looking at what Doug was talking about, like what, was the scenario surrounding these, these interceptions. You know, I think that matters. I think it's, but if they make the playoffs, all that stuff looks a lot rosier than it would have, if they hadn't.
1: And we will get to a point. I mean, it is one of those things. I am very much into the four and two and they best start in 26 years and all that stuff. At some point, if they're good, it gets to the point of, well, they were 10 and six and they made the playoffs, but could they have been 11 and five and won a playoff game if the quarterback played better, right? That it is. I think Scott, you and I would agree on that, that at some point it's like, Well, if you can win despite his flaws, then just give him time to grow and win through his mistakes and see if there's upside there. But at some point, if it's like, man, we could be, we could give the Chiefs a run if our quarterback played better, then that's a thing too, right? That like, which is sort of where the Titans were. They were like nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven. And now they get Tannehill and they put him in halfway through the year. They go to the AFC championship game. And now in his first year as a full-time starter, they're undefeated. So I, I think it's, This is fascinating. Last one. As you're making any decision about Baker Mayfield right now, what is your breakdown of how much you value this current season and the next 10 games, right? The now versus how much you value the future and anything after this season. So again, it's, it's the percent that factors into your thought process on how they should handle Baker, whatever you think they should do. It's present versus future added up to a hundred. Scott, what's your breakdown?
0: Oh, we're doing percentage on this. Um, I, Look, I, first off, I can't see a scenario where they're cutting bait with Baker this off season. Uh, I don't care how he plays over the next ten games. I think at the very least he comes back and they have some sort of competition. Maybe they bring in someone else. I don't know, but I don't see them making a decision where, all right, we're we're cutting bait with Baker and we're going in a different direction.
1: So what you're describing is a Trubisky foles situation in Chicago. You bring that was the exact same time at Mitch Trubisky. They brought in Nick Foles. They had the offseason competition. They stuck with Trubisky to start this season and then they benched him, but they did not give right. up on him after year three.
0: Right. But the next 10 games are huge. And I think, uh, as we've said, I think multiple times over the second half of this podcast, how Baker plays in those games where the Browns are supposed to win, you know, like the next five games and, and the games that aren't against Uh, you know the Ravens and the Steelers uh, or the Titans uh, you want to see Baker perform at least at a level he has through that four game winning streak Uh, if, if, if he's making decisions that cost you those games well then that's when you end up with with the Trubisky Foles situation but I'm not making a decision now on that I think you have to see at the end of the season where he is I don't I can't. I can't see a scenario where where you're just cutting bait. Even if you have to go with Case Keenum at some point, I think you give Baker another chance because, again, this is his first year in this offense, and I think you want more of a chance to see what he can do with an offseason with maybe some perspective. If he's sitting there watching Case Keenum play, and if Case Keenum have, somehow has success in his place, I don't know. I don't know what kind of ratio that is, but I, I'm I'm not making I'm not making any sort of uh, big decisions about Baker right now. I'm only making them if, if for some reason the Browns start losing games, they shouldn't.
1: I'll keep mine short. Cause I basically agree with everything Scott said. I I'm 90% future, 10% present because what I am wonder what I, why I'm so focused on the future is because I feel like I've seen it before. And I feel like the upside remains that if he hits his upside that I feel like he was, he showed a little bit of as a rookie. If he hits it, I think he's like a, I mean, he's not ever going to be Patrick Mahomes, but I think he's like a long-term answer here. I think he's a long-term winning quarterback if he maxes out. And I want to give him more time to try to max out and have Kevin Stefanski max him out. And the pandemic goes into that, that they didn't get a real offseason. The fact that he was jerked around in the first two years goes into that. I want to give him more time because I think, I think the best case scenario is substantially better than league average quarterback. And so I'm going to hold on for that. And I, I would view the whole thing exactly like you said, Scott, bring him back at the very least for year four at the worst. It's a competition with a veteran like that, but, but I don't want to only make the decision based on this year. Ellis, go ahead.
2: Doug, we have a uh, completely opposite answers. This is a 100% tryout for Baker Mayfield next year. I don't know where I land on the whole fifth-year option thing. I mean, there, I think they'll decline it if, if the tryout doesn't go well. If he doesn't play well against Pittsburgh again, Baltimore, or potentially that playoff game, it's, a like you said, a, a Trubisky situation. They'll bring him back. But there's two really important things I want to point out about Baker Mayfield that is what makes him Baker Mayfield. First, he's a locker room guy. He's someone you the team can rally upon. That that is a driving force in what makes Baker Baker. As soon as there's questions that he isn't the guy, you probably lose that extra oomph he brings to a locker room. It's a Cam Newton situation. You know, the Patriots weren't going to bring Cam Newton in, and it was going to be a competition with Jared Sinem. It's 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 Cam. He's all encompassing. So that that's an energy that Baker brings that you then lose if Baker isn't clearly your long term guy, which seems to be where this is, is trending which is why we're having the conversation another thing we really have to keep in mind here is that though it's i understand being patient and looking towards the future no two years are the same meaning this is probably the most talent baker mayfield will ever play with are we all that confident odell beckham Jr. is on this team next year what about jarvis landry How long do Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt share a backfield? These are are questions we don't have time to get into and we have all season to discuss. But if the deck is stacked this well in Baker Mayfield's favor and he's got a whole season to play in an offense that is QB friendly, has deters turnovers and creates advantageous situations in a passing game and he is playing at league average or below it, the tryout's over, this GM and coach are going to explore a QB market, potentially bring a veteran in, draft a guy they like, they'll have options. But for me, it's a 100%. This is Baker Mayfield's really last chance to solidify him as the guy in Cleveland. Because once you lose that momentum, I'm not sure how he gets it back.
1: And again, this again is a discussion about what's good for the Browns. I don't want to give Baker a longer chance because I think it's good for Baker. I want to give Baker a longer chance because I think it's good for the Browns. If, the guy they picked at number one in the draft who sh- has shown flashes and then had some really weird stuff happen around him, gets it back. And so I said like, once he's gone, you don't care. Like it's going to be, and not that this happens all the time, but like if he goes somewhere and then he becomes really good somewhere else, it's going to be like, Oh crap. You know? And, and then, the, and with everything in life, every time someone says, should a coach be fired? It's like, well, who are you getting? You got a plan who's yeah. next? Listen, if, if the, if the jets go, Oh, and 16, and call the Browns and say, we'll give you the number one pick for your first in Odell. Then Trevor Lawrence is the Browns quarterback next year. Right. I mean, of course, but like that's not going to happen. So then what are we talking about? So then it's like, well, then what do you, and, and, and if you don't have a, pl- like if you don't have an answer, right. I mean, you could tell me, oh, Patrick, the, the, the answers, the obvious answers that would never happen. Yeah. Well, I'd get Reddit Baker too, because it's better for the team. Everything else you're starting to get in that, well, this veteran, Well, could we do? Teddy Bridgewater kind of stuff. Right. It's like, I don't, I'd rather keep trying this. So that's why I think I'm, I think the best thing of the available options at the moment, the best thing for the the best available option is the best of Baker Mayfield. So I'm going to hold on to the chance of seeing that for at least a significantly longer period of time than where we are now. Uh, We could go nine hours, we could go nine hours, but There's a long season ahead. There's a lot more to talk about. I think that helped you. It helped me. Ellis and Scott helped Doug. (laughs) Doug. Who we're here for. Who came to this podcast dejected, rejected by our judicial system. I came here. I found two friendly faces. I learned something. And you you have to realize what's happening. But now you've got a little idea of what's happening with Baker Mayfield and what some of the options are. So we're not going to stop talking about it. We're not going to overdo it because there's other things that this team's trying to beat Cincinnati and 11 and three or eight, eight and three is out there. So we'll continue to cover that. It was a great breakdown on got to watch the tape. Make sure you're subscribed to this orange and Brown talk feed. So you get all five orange and Brown talks with Mary Kay and Dan and Scott and Ellis and everybody else. Terry Pluto's on there. Sometimes you get those five days a week. And then you get got to watch the tape every Tuesday, every Friday. My fault that we're getting it to you late on this Tuesday, but thanks for hanging in. Thanks for being part of this. Thanks to Ellis and Scott. We're not, we're not going to do our, our, our little end of the thing thing because it's like it's all about Baker today. So we usually do little things at the end. We'll skip that for now. So thanks to these guys for bringing the knowledge and thanks to you guys for listening. And thanks for diving in on got to watch the tape.